And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Adding garbage to more garbage just gives us a bigger pile of garbage. Hello, everyone, and welcome to your second, your favorite hour of fantasy baseball analysis under the radar. I'm Ian Khan stepping in at the beginning for Nando DeFino. Uh, with me, as always, your friend and mine, Derek Van Riper. It is both a privilege and a contractual obligation for me to say that Under the Radar is presented by Topps. Check out Topps Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Topps baseball cards. And also joining us for the very first time, my friend. (sighs) Maybe the best fantasy baseball player in the whole wide world. Oh my goodness. They could be. Uh, My friend and yours, Alex Cushing. Alex, welcome to Under the Radar. Gentlemen. What's cracking? I'm happy to happy to be here. I'm honored uh, honored to join. Well, you know you're our second you're our second uh, guest of this period of time while Nando is out for a bit, and uh, and and really excited to have you on. I, I spoke to a couple of friends who were like, "Wow, I get to hear what Cushing sounds like." <laughs> you know, you've spoken about him for so for so many years now on the show. Um, so Nando will be back with us soon, uh, but we're really really happy to have Alex with us. Alex is is truly one of the best. Uh, fantasy baseball players all around. I mean, he's one of the, the he has been the thorn in my side in Dynasty, in this Dynasty League uh, for the past, gosh, nine years. Um, and in redraft, he, he may just be the best. I mean, he has been uh, in GDD, we've been playing for years, and he's won that league more than anyone else has. He, he put up a year of 148 points in a 15-team redraft league. I think it was 148. It was something ridiculous like that. And he's either first, second, or third, depending on the year. But he's he's always good, always good, and uh, and we're really happy to have you on. Now, that is ridiculously high praise. There's only going downhill from here, right? Well, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's no there's no replacing Nando, but I'll do my best, and I'm I'm honored to to be on with you guys. Uh, well, I'll tell you one thing I learned is that it's not a lot of fun to be the host. Uh, I learned that last week. It, it's it's a tough job, and and thank you again for to Glenn Colton for joining us last week. It was super fun to have him. Um, but I'm going to hand the show over to the to the best host in the business. Uh, sorry, Nando, I didn't mean to really put it like that. But, but Derek Van Riper, Derek Van Riper is about as good as you get. So uh, no need for me to hold that spot. I will come back to close the show in Nando Defino style. But DVR off to you, pal. All right. Well, Alex, I got a question for you that I think a lot of people are always wondering about when they hear anybody on a podcast for the first time. How did you get into fantasy baseball? What's your background and and what do you do full time since this is not something that you do 80 hours a week for money? Well, for for a period of time, I was uh, doing this full time. I worked for Major League Baseball once upon a time. And um, but even before that, long before that, um, this was always a passion of mine as it is for anybody who, who does this, um, you know, on their off hours. Um, I like to say I went from breastfeeding to number crunching. 
Um, <laughs> All right. How, how did that happen? <laughs> I think, you know, back playing fantasy baseball as early as I think it dated back to the early 90s um, when Benito Santiago was playing. Um, this was when we were playing with USA Stats, when you had to wait two weeks to get stats delivered to you. Um, and you would wow. call people up on the phone for trades and there was no internet. Oh, I like um, that. That I like. That's so for a period of time, I, I, um, and uh, that went into, uh, you know, I got a job working for Major League Baseball for several years. Um, I, I do something far less exciting now that I won't bore you with. Um, and anyway, this I've stayed up with it and I haven't been able to kick the addiction uh, to this game. Um, I do like to delve into stats, so I do consider myself to be more on the the stat nerd side, you could say, the stat head side. Um, and that's why Ian and I work well together, because um, he, he's more of a intangibles guy, you could say. Um, but, but you know, I, you know, I listen to you two DVR, so um, I'm probably more on your side of things and, and Eno. Um, but, I, I, you know, you do have to factor in intangibles as well. Um, Anyway, so I do, in the offseason, I find myself doing a lot of uh, projections and preparation for, for drafts. Um, whereas with Ian, I, I'm, I'm marveled because we'll speak on the phone and preparing for an auction. And he does a lot of it by feel in terms of, and, and it's just interesting to see the, the different approaches. Yeah, we, we, we definitely do have uh, very different approaches. But there's one spot that you and I both, I think have a passion for that I think is undervalued, certainly in dynasty leagues, but also in redraft leagues. I talked about this on the show. I think it was last week or the week before fantasy central, uh, Micah, who uh, just got hired by NBC uh, sports line to, to do fantasy content over there. His pin, his pin quote. Um, I really should just pull it up actually, because it, it's so smart. Um, and, but it, it's about how you win a fantasy league mm-hmm. and what he says Fantasy championships are achieved through one commitment and two, the waiver wire. And, you know, I think it's undervalued in terms of dynasty leagues, how important the waiver wire is. Because everyone talks about, oh, the trading, it's about the trading. You make these amazing trades. How do you get people to make trades with you like that? No, that's not what it is. What it is for me is the guys that you find on Sundays the waiver wire pickups that turn into something bigger that then become the pieces that you use to get the players. And, you know, Alex and I have been in this dynasty league one that we've been playing opposite each other for eight, how many years, nine years now. Yeah. It's, it's felt it's, it's been a long time, hasn't it? It's been a long time now of, of sort of just like, and you know, this is Yankees, Red Sox here. These are with Alex and I, I mean, we are Yankees, Red Sox. We are, we were blood rivals for years. I mean, for years, we wouldn't even talk because it was just like, <laughs> I'm going to beat this guy. And then there certain there came a certain point where I was like, you know what? He's so dang smart. I just, I got to be his friend and he's a good guy and, and I want to be his friend. And so since then, my game has gotten better by being friends with him. But here's what I found. Every Monday morning on the waiver wire fab, one of the good things about CBS is that they really do tell you like everybody and what they bid and everything. Cushing's waiver wire pickups are brilliant. And we went over, I think it was last week, we were on the phone and just talking about guys that we've picked up off the wire in this league and how important that is. And so I think the major point that I wanted to make was every Sunday you have a chance to make your team significantly better, especially in a dynasty league. 
and you should. DVR, before DVR, before we hit Alex with it, because I know he has a lot of thoughts about it. DVR, what do you think about, about this idea? I think in-season management is, especially if you're using FAB, one of the hardest things to learn how to do exceptionally well. And I think even when you know what you're supposed to do, it is even more difficult to have the discipline to do it. And as you guys have seen firsthand in GDD, when I get frustrated by something about my team, maybe it's a, a lack of pitching, for example, I might throw a very large bid at a young player, hoping that that young player is going to come up and save my season, which mathematically is a bad play. It is a negative EV play. Ariel Cohen has written about this. Several other people have written about this and studied this. You guys know it from experience. You don't throw 20% of your budget at Davey Garcia because your pitching isn't good. That is a mistake. That is a tactical error. That is like if you're playing tennis, since we talk about tennis sometimes in this show, it's like hitting your second serve as hard as your first serve because you're mad you missed your first serve, right? You're more likely to miss right. on the second serve when you do that. It's, it's that sort of lack of discipline. And that's exactly how I played tennis, by the way. I played tennis in high school. That was one of my <laughs> biggest flaws. I'd get mad. I'd miss the first serve and say, F it, I'm ripping the second one. And I'd double fault. And then, you know, you, you just throw away a point like that. That's my biggest flaw as a player. So I'm, I'm really curious, Alex. I'm looking back through just the GDD bids for this year. How long did it take you to realize that big, splashy fab moves are generally just a bad idea? I think it's dependent on what your position is. Sometimes a splashy move is necessary to some degree. I mean, you want it to be on the right player. Someone who pops into mind is your main Mercedes. Um, I, I spent maybe the first week more than most people did. I was really worried about my hitting in a number of leagues, or, or at least in a couple of leagues. And I think I spent 26 to 20, close to 30% of my budget on him, which I think was higher than most. A lot of people were out on him because he's a, he was a late bloomer and there was uncertainty about his playing time moving forward. Not Nando DeFino. Not Nando DeFino. Everybody <laughs> but Nando DeFino. <laughs> um, and I th isn't that what's magical about our game is that late bloomers are far more common in baseball than they are in, let's say, basketball. You had someone like Jeremy Lin for a minute, and then he faded to the background. But in baseball, I find that to be so magical about our game is that you see guys like your mean Mercedes come on at age, what is he, 28, 27? Um, and, you know, Cliff Lee comes to mind as somebody who didn't emerge until late. Um, and so... But with, with the waiver wire, my approach is it, it's, it generally takes a lot of time for me to come up with an order, for me to come up with a bid. There's no real science to it is the problem. Whereas when you're preparing for a draft, you have some idea, you have some projection on what you think someone's going to produce for a full season. But and, and you can kind of say, well, this is the dollar value I think he will produce by season's end. And, and then you can translate it into draft or auction form. But there's no real science that I've seen to translating it to a fab form and, and in terms of how much you should invest in a player for the rest of the season. I, I don't know if you guys have that, but I end up putting in maybe 20 bids in total uh, for one week. And it, it, I actually don't enjoy fab that much. It feels, no, like, it's hard. It feels like work sometimes. It feels like 
it's not always the, the setting the lineup part is what's really enjoyable. The, the looking at splits, the, the seeing, oh, is, is this lefty facing? Like uh, Jake Fraley comes to mind as a hot new pickup. Um, looking at his, his, his weekly matchups now, I just noticed there were a lot of lefties. So it's, I really want to play Jake Fraley, but he's facing a lot of lefties. So that, that part of it I always find interesting is you, how that factors into your fab. And, and that did affect my fab with Jake Fritley, that his matchups, what does he have? He's facing four lefties, I think, this week, and he's a lefty hitter. That matters. I mean, you do want to invest because he, I do think Jake Fritley could be something because he did this in the minors. Then one of the things that Cushing does that I, I think is a little nuts, I mean, he really, and, and actually I, I, I argue it a little bit in terms of the hitting. Like, I would rather go with a better hitter than focus as much on the matchups where Alex is really focusing on the matchups. I know you use the Tristan Cockroft, um, the, the, the planning for the week right. for hitters. And that that's right. It's, it's almost a, it's, it's, it's sort of a Bible for you. I, I, I would rather, I mean, we, we share one team right now and we're going to do this again. Um, because this, this, this team, <laughs> this team is struggling, um, on, on the pitching side, not on the hitting side, the hitting is, is remarkable, but on the pitching side, we're struggling. And I think it's going to cap us to, you know, we might finish top three. I think it's a possibility of that if things break right. Um, but when we discuss the hitters, it's one place where you and I do, well, we, we, we disagree on a couple of things, but this is a spot where I, I always want the better hitter. And you really look to the matchups and say, yeah, but he's, they're facing all righties and this guy, you know, struggles more against righties. But I think that there's there's value for it. I mean, you put a lot of time and effort into it, don't you? I mean, you you spend how long do you spend on each fab for each league? Would you say? I would say a couple of hours per week at least. You know, I mean, and, and not everybody always has time for but that. Not but not for each league. You don't spend like two hours on GDD. You'll spend no, thirty minutes. No, on no, no. On, on I'm in five or six leagues, so mm-hmm. I'll, I'll spend that the entire. Time, but I have to take breaks and come back to it because it's and, and a lot of times you have to start earlier, a day earlier than mm-hmm. fab goes, but then you have to adjust based on what's happened since. But I, I do think, I, you know, you can't ignore if somebody's just hitting well and, and they have poor matchups, you have to start them. But if it's if, the, if it's for guys on the margins like Jake Fraley, um, whoever else comes to mind, like a. Like a why. Kevin Newman versus Matt Carpenter. I, this that week. was that was right off the top of my head. I was about to say Kevin Newman. That's somebody yeah. who who could make the lineup if you're if you're in a deep league like a fifteen mm-hmm. team. Um, that's somebody who could make the lineup if he has good matchups. Um, anyway, there are a number of guys who you can play that game with. Um, but if there are guys that are struggling, like Ian Happ for a period of time, like Joey Gallo, we had some dispute over. I there's do, no dispute. Do, there's no dispute, right? I know. There's this. no dispute. Got to no, Don't never because say the thing. The thing about Joey Gallo, and I've, I've said this on the show, and I've, I said it to you. Right. I said the good thing about Gallo is that when he's not hitting, he runs. Like there's something emotional about him where he's like, "All right, I'm not hitting, but I just got on base with a walk. I'm stealing a base, you know." And I like guys like that because right now Gallo has 11 home runs. Good, fine, okay, not not as good as we want. 34. Right. Uh, runs 28 RBIs, but he's got six steals. I mean, six steals is a pretty big deal in any format that you're in. That's true. That and that, that from does, a power guy. That does pad his, I guess that does alleviate the pain of a 220 batting average. 
Yeah, um, it, yeah, certainly. I, I, hadn't, mean, I, I, I actually hadn't seen that he had six steals the last I looked. Well, he was at three he, or something. Yeah, he's stolen three bases this week, I think, or two. Certainly, I mean, he's running. He's in a he's in a a running mode for himself, and and that's something that I've I've always believed about Gallo. It's like he's one of those dangerous players. Back in the day, you would say it about Justin Upton as well. It's like you can take Justin Upton struggling. Oh my god, he's struggling! But then all of a sudden, he's going to go kapow and have like a ridiculous week. So you really want to keep him in your lineup. That's how I feel about Gallo. And looking at him a little closer with Gallo, it's really interesting. I didn't see that his splits, he's, he's raking against lefties and struggling versus righties. So maybe that's a sign of better things to come. Because usually he struggled against lefties. Or at yeah, least he I... did. Not always, actually. But he, at least he did last year. Um, and that's something to be considerate of with, with other lefty hitters. DVR, what are your feelings on Gallo? I think we kind of just know what he is as a player at this point. I mean, the K rate wasn't ever going to come down since we've got several years of 30 plus percent, but he's always walked and he has had, I think, a pretty clear track record of being more athletic than the typical three true outcomes masher. Like those long tail deals that I call them, <laughs> those are real. Yeah. Like he's got them. Like if you go back through his career, you got a seven, you got a four, you got a six this year two in the shortened season, like some of the years where he missed time, it lowers the total and you don't think he runs that much. But a half dozen steals does make a difference on the margins a lot of times. Look at the look at this category in most leagues and think about your team with six more steals. It could be three or four standings points in a lot of situations. So I think there is some bounce back potential, but we kind of know what that bounce back is going to look like. There's not another level there that he hasn't reached. Like he would have shown something by now. It's coming. I'm telling you. I think there might be though. I think there, I, th- you know, I tend to agree with Ian. If you look at his minor league career, there were a period of times when he hit above 240. So I think there might be, I, I remember it, like with Gallo, Aaron Hicks was similar where he would struggle upon his first sight of a new level. And then it, after a couple of years, he would, he would really adapt. And if you look back at some, at some of his minor league numbers, there might be another level because he's one of those guys like Gallo reminding me of Teoscar Hernandez in a way where it's, it's all hard hit ball and the strikeout numbers are, are high. Um, and, and, and so the hard hit is just so otherworldly and the, the barrels that if he just cuts his strikeout rate just a tiny bit, he could be he could take off. I think there might be a career year at some point. I, I think, and he's also, guys, let's remember something. He's been around for a number of years, right? He came up early. And if we go back to the very first show of Under the Radar, where we talked about freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year, he is still in his sophomore year as a career. He's got another 10 years He's only played four or five seasons, right? Something like that. And he's got another 10 years to come. I, I actually, I'm going to make an argument that a Joey Gallo is a, could be conceived. And certainly in an OBP league, definitely. Like Devil's Rejects, where Alex and I play together. Uh, not We're not on the same team, but we, we oppose each other. Joey Gallo is a, a, a buy low still. I still believe that. And you never know. There, you could see him get moved. I mean, can you imagine... He's got the athletic ability to handle playing center field. Not every day, right? Like, you don't really want to play him every day in center field. But 
if he went to the New York Yankees with that right field porch, he would be popping balls up to right field that would be home runs. So I, I just think that there's there's more upside here for Joey Gallo. I think that even even with his struggles with the 220 average, right now at CBS, he was projected for 107 as to be the 107th best player. Right now he's at 113, and nobody is happy quite. Nobody feels that he's fulfilled his potential yet. So I, I don't know. I just think that there's there's still upside in Joey Gallo. There's still upside in Joey Gallo. I'm going to keep saying that. because I think the, I, the fact that he's running... I mean, this leads to a larger conversation about the Rangers. But the fact that he's running is it, it does pad some of the pain caused by the batting average, um, which I, 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 there aren't many signs that he he's going to shake that the batting average woes. But um, you know the 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 running like with Nate Lowe, or no, it's Nate, is it Nate? I always get confused. Nate Lowe is Brandon Nate Lowe. Lowe and Nate Lowe. It's, it's an Abbott and Casella we're seeing, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. DVR, can I ask you one thing? Because you didn't answer this. On the fab, how long do you spend working on fab on the weekend? It takes a couple hours for me. Like Probably, on average, two hours to get through I want to say it's eight leagues I have that actually use fab. And mm-hmm. two of those leagues are, are mono leagues. And we've talked about this before. If you're in an AL only or an NL only league, it takes you like three minutes to do fab because yeah, really not you're, you're sorting by playing time. <laughs> well, and well, yeah. Everything but, comes but, into a zero real quick. But at the same time, in the AL, I spend more time in AL labor. I spend more time trying to figure out what everyone else is going to Right, do because they, yeah, okay. I do, yeah, I do. Like this, this past week, I have Diego Castillo on my AL labor team, mm-hmm. and he's the closer, right, or kind of the closer for the Tampa Bay Rays. Peter Fairbanks was on the wire this week. I don't know how he got there. I don't know when he got there, but he's there. He was there, and I decided to spend thirteen dollars out of a hundred, uh, and I had fifty three dollars left. And I decided to spend 13 of those dollars on Peter Fairbanks to kind of, and not fully lock it down because J.P. Fireson, I think that's how you say his name, could come back, uh, could could hop back in there. I think I'm starting to figure out how the how Kevin Cash thinks about closing. I, I think this, and this is worth saying, I'm just going to, quick sidebar. I, this is what he does. He like gives everybody like a chance at it for a couple of days right. just so they know they can do it. Like, now, Fireson came to the team. They He put him right into the closer role. And I was like, what are you doing? Well, he's proven. He's done it. And now, okay, now you go to the seventh. Diego Castillo, he can close for you. Now he goes to the eighth. Now, Peter, now Fairbanks, he's there. Now he's the closer for the last two days. So in an only league where you're starting a middle reliever, typically, right? I'm going to have a Greg Holland in there on the upside that he might get a save or something like that. To be able to pair Fairbanks with Castillo, 
I thought was, and I think, is really valuable because I also have Liam Hendricks in that league. So I'm really growing my saves lead in that league so that eventually, probably in about a month, I can move Hendricks, hold, have the lead still, move Hendricks for a bat that I could probably use or maybe a starter that I could use and get somebody really good for that because saves in an only league are incredibly hard to come by. So if you can move a top save guy who has fulfilled that, you can get get a, get a lot back. So I spent, and I thought to myself, I said, you know what I think it's going to cost to get them? Seven bucks. I think someone's going to bid six. I think seven would do it. In fact, I called Ariel and discussed it with him. And he said, well, you know, Ian, if, you, if you're thinking about it, he, you know, he's worth more to you than he is to anybody else. I mean, because nobody else really wants to spend all their money to maybe get half or a third of the saves. But, but you can lock down, well, 72% of the save content moving forward for saves. So I think it's a really good move. Sorry, I, I just it just came out. But the reason was because before the season when I was talking with Ariel and, and Alex, I spent a lot of time talking with Alex too about auction strategy going into labor and, and tout wars, was he said, Ariel said, you know, if you get all three of the closers for Tampa Bay, that'd be a really good thing to get, really. Because if you think about it, it'll help you with your ratios. You'll lock down saves, and but it was too expensive. Because uh, Nick Anderson went for 13, Castillo went for 8, and Fairbanks went for 7. So I said, you know what? I'm going to take the Castillo for 8, and then I'll pay the 23 for Liam Hendricks, which is what's put me into the position of, of leading in saves. But now, then I traded for Nick Anderson when he, while he was on the IL, and then I picked up Fairbanks. So I actually have the three-headed monster for, for the close of the season. And that's why I called him. I was like, doesn't this make sense that I would spend this? So I said to myself, I think seven buys it for me. I'm going to bid 13 because I want him. I want to lock this down. And so, you know, that's why I spent a good amount of time, more time thinking in ale in, in the only league that I play in, more time thinking about it. So you spent two hours. Cushing, you spent two to three hours. You guys are in six to eight leagues. I'm also in eight leagues. One of the advantages, as I have Robert Mershak, oh, as a partner in three leagues. So Robert and I do those together, which is is great. You know, So we'll both kind of throw guys in, and then we'll sit down and discuss it. We'll probably spend about 45 minutes on Sunday going through those. And then I do the leagues that I have uh, by myself, and one with Dr. Thomas Scott, which we do with DVR, which is on Thursdays, which is awesome. So I do spend a good amount of time, and I think the point that should be could be gleaned from this is that it takes time. And that it makes a difference. So that, you know, Alex, in DL1, who is the best guy that you have picked up off? Give me your two to three best guys that are still on your team and that are actively helping that you got on the waiver wire for a dollar to fifty dollars. Doesn't matter. But I know one of them off the top of my head. I, I, I know one for sure. And I have I'll, I'll... two off the top of my head, and then I'm I'm struggling to think about too many. But the, the top one was Woodruff a few years ago. Right. And I remember the day you picked him up because Woodruff had just come up and he had been throwing really well. I think it was 2018, I want to say. Maybe it was 19, early to mid-19, just when Woodruff started to show himself, right? He just started to show. And I remember you picking him up and going, damn, that might that might be really good for him. And now it's turned into Brandon Woodruff off the wire. It's interesting okay. when you think about some of the waiver wire successes you've had. For me, I always think about the ones that got away. And when you mentioned the best pickups in that league, I remember someone picking up Jacob deGrom for a few dollars. And this is a dynasty league, so lots of guys were already owned. So deGrom was a pop-up prospect. He was not a big prospect. And he only went for... 
less he went for less than one percent he went for five dollars out of a thousand and, and what did you bid do you remember the, it was three or something you and bid three so that when you say the best pickups i don't think about my successes i think about somebody else's successes i think about somebody else grabbing Degrom for five dollars out of a mm-hmm. thousand and yeah. just how valuable he is that's your first one was woodruff who's your second one the only the one that comes to mind now is Mercedes. I'm sure there's better. There was Josh Rojas. Um, there was uh, Jeff McNeil, who's not. Oh, doing I remember so when lot. you got Jeff McNeil too. See, I remember all of these things, and you just did it this weekend. You bid twenty six, and I bid twenty five on the kid from San Francisco. Right on on Sammy Long. On Sammy who, Long, who I think could be something because. Yeah, and this goes back to the kind of late bloomers. I think he's only, I think he's twenty five, so he's not exactly a prospect, and he was never really on anyone's radar. Well, the three guys, the three guys that I've picked up in that league that are still contributing for my team are all late bloomers. They're all all these guys. So, I mean, I guess that's the the titled episode of the show. Um, is uh, so the, my three are Jared Walsh last year picked Ooh, up Walsh. for a buck. Yeah, Jared Walsh picked him up for a buck. In like July, right? He came up and he hit. And I was like, oh, I'm grabbing him. And especially in Dynasty Leagues, I like grabbing guys who just came up and who popped up and kind of show a little bit because you can stick them down in your minors, let it play out for a couple of weeks. And then, you know, I did it with Tucker Davidson a couple of weeks ago. I bid, I, we, uh, Rob and I bid like 50 bucks on on Tucker Davidson because I was like, you know what? Brett Sarah is always talking about Tucker Davidson with me saying how great he's going to be. All right, I'll take a flyer on him. We'll see how he does tonight. But uh, so Jared Walsh, and then going back a couple of years, but guys who are still contributing, I remember picking up Mark Canha on the wire. And then uh, the last one is Luke Voigt. You know, I mean, I picked up Luke Voigt in that league for eight bucks. And then that. spent, yeah. And then, and now have, I mean, he's hurt now, obviously. But that, D- DVR, do you, do you find the same thing, DVR, in, in Dynasty Leagues or in, in, in Keeper Leagues, that the, the wire can be so valuable if you take the time to look? Yeah, absolutely. And if you aren't, if you're if you're not contending in any given year, you should be churning mm. on the wire constantly yeah. because you will make your team a lot better that way without having to give something to get something. Like If, you're, if your long-term plan on a Keeper or Dynasty League is to just trade away the expensive players that you get in the auction, or if it's a dynasty league, the the veteran players, those players don't return that much in trades. You know, everybody who's good in a dynasty league or a keeper league clutches the elite of the elite prospects. And it's actually kind of difficult to get a lot better in a dynasty draft sometimes too, because those leagues are so big. There's only a handful of impact guys up top. Like you're going to find more pop-up guys that make an impact. The ones, you, all those guys you described for the most part are players that did not have big pedigrees as prospects. I mean, like when we had RDI a few years ago, I, I picked up Voight, ended up trading him in a bad trade, but found him on the wire. Nonetheless, Tommy mm-hmm. Edmund, you know, is a guy that Tommy popped Edmund. up out of nowhere, provided a ton of value. Like you will find a huge number of players that could be like 15 to $20 players over a full redraft season. And you can get them for a min bid or a near min bid in a lot of deep leagues. Tommy Edmund is a perfect example. I I, I didn't mention him because he's no longer on the team. But this is why everyone's like, oh, you make the trade. You you know, no, no. I picked up Tommy Edmund in that league. Remember that, Kush? I do. I picked up Tommy Edmund. I had Tommy Edmund on my team for the last year and a half. He played for me. He helped us win last year, right? I picked up Leody Tavares also on the wire last year when he first came up because guys like Nick Gordon, who I just picked up this week, 
right? This past Sunday. These are former prospects that have fallen on, on harder times. It's why learning the prospect is so valuable. But now watch. Tommy Edmond cost me, I don't remember, 10 bucks. Leo Di Tavares cost me two. In the offseason, I traded a very hot Leodi Tavares, where everyone was hot on Leodi, and Tommy Edmond for Shohei Otani, right? Is that exactly what the trade was? Yeah. Right? Well, and at the painful. time, no, but at, it, no, but at the time, it was it, Leodi was on the rise, right? Leodi That's is true. the speed guy. He's going to be the starting center fielder. He's going to run. Tommy Edmond has got a guaranteed playing time. Also going to run Otani. We really don't know what's going to happen with him, right? But that's the freaking point. That's the freaking point. I think the theme that we're echoing here is that you don't always have to hit a home run on the wire. It's important to have a a number of producers. And I think that's what winds up turning people off when they look at the wire. They don't see a difference maker necessarily right away. But there are guys constantly like Tom, the future Tommy Edmonds. Um, someone who comes to mind is uh, like a, a Guriel, um, a Yuli Guriel, um, who, you know, for a, a number of years ago, somebody who just produces constantly a Chris Taylor um, years ago, somebody who's, who, who just finds his way into your lineup every single week. And if you look at every winning team, they have boring veterans, not the shiny toys that everybody is clamoring for, but boring veterans who just produce year in and year out. They're giving you 20 plus dollar results. And I think that's really important when you look at the wire and when you're drafting too, is you do want to have a nice collection of boring veterans. They don't have to be boring veterans, but just guys who will produce, who are not, not who everyone is not talking about. I mentioned Chris Taylor, Mark Hanna, you mentioned. These are guys who will produce who don't get a lot of fanfare. And I think it's important to emphasize that. The thing that takes the most time on the wire, and I do want to make, I do want to have a little rant here, is closers and I find it so frustrating that we're the closer game is about speculating who's in the doghouse of the manager and who's not uh, I I just wish we could all go to solds uh, saves plus holds because it feels like less skill is involved in picking up a closer who didn't have the job a few weeks ago. Like you're, you're constantly speculating who the manager likes more. And sometimes it's not always logical. Uh, sometimes it's just based on how he looks. Uh, is he fearsome looking? There are all these kind of variables that are not stat based. And, and it seems <laughs> odd that that's how we anchor our investments. And I have a pitch for, not just with with shifting from saves to solds, but I wonder, and I, this is probably better for a, for a Champions League, you know, a draft and hold and, and no pickups. Um, I wonder if you just avoided picking guys, closers with secure roles early on, because a lot of them have disappointed. I mean, aside from Hader and, and Hendricks, if you look at some of the top closers this year, it's Melanson, it's Alex Reyes, right? It's Yimi Garcia. 
Yeah, but oh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna definitely come down hard on the other side of this argument. Okay. Uh, so, but before I do that, DVR, what is your thought on that argument? So you know you're breaking the tie. Well, I've just been frustrated by the same things that that Alex is frustrated by, and I think one way to kind of visualize the scope of this problem, one stat that I like just as a good general measure of how effective, how good a pitcher is is strikeout minus walk percentage. Usually, if you are good in that category, in that particular stat, you are a good pitcher. So if you go to fan graphs and you pop open the reliever leaderboard and you sort by K minus BV percentage, you can go through name by name and say, does this guy close for his team, right? So the first few, Matt Barnes, Liam Hendricks, Josh Hader, Craig Kimbrell, Rolls Chapman, those guys all close, right? So Iglesias closes. Oh, here's Heath Hembry. He's the seventh best qualified reliever in K minus BB percentage. And um, do we care about him? Well, he's got a 540 ERA right now, but the skills look good, right? Like our game should value guys like that. James Karinchak versus Class A. Those guys should have both been rosterable without a doubt. And it shouldn't have been one is a lot more valuable than the other because we think Tito prefers Karinchak to Class A or vice versa. Like that, that part of our game is pretty fluky and very luck-based. And I think anywhere we can remove that, that's a good thing. So you're with Alex. I'm on board with changing it. I here's my problem though. I don't like hold as a stat. I think hold is also a garbage stat. So I think adding garbage to more garbage just gives us a bigger pile of garbage. Why is it gar? But why is it? How is it any? This is. I've heard people say this before, but how is it any different than saves as a stat? It's you're just holding a lead in a different part of the game. Oh, they're, they're both they're both bad. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's, that's, I, I hate them both. But then if we, if we widen the scope of it, then we can have some of these quality relievers who ends up getting lots of holds who are good in real life. I've got a solution. I don't think it works. Tell me why this doesn't work. Okay. But we have innings pitched requirements in most leagues, right? You got to throw, I don't know, 900, 1,000 innings, whatever the number is. It varies from league to league depending on the format. Could we reach a point where we require a certain volume of your innings to come from relievers. Because in that case, you can't just chase the guys who get saves. Then you're going to need the guys who are actually the best relievers to, to meet that threshold. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts.
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, I'm jumping in. I'm jumping in here. Because one thing we're taking out of the game by doing all this is the big-time heart-wrenching sweat that happens at the end of every game with the saves, right? And I talked about this before the season. And actually, Glenn Colton talks about this also. Glenn and Rick talk about this in their smart system. I say, make sure, and I did this in almost every league, make sure that you invest in at least one closer who you can guarantee is going to hold that job. Now, there aren't that many of them, right? There's Hendricks, there's Chapman, there's Jansen, there's uh, Kimbrell to a certain extent, there's Hayter. Like, but make sure you invest in one of those guys with your draft capital. I spent $23 on Liam Hendricks in both Tout Wars and Labor. And in TGFBI, I think I have him too. And, and, and the reason is because I believe that he was the best closer on the best team in, in the, I, I believe that that was what was going to happen. So it's not that you're, I mean, Alex's idea of like, let's just spread it out. I, I kind of get it, but I want to get those. I want to lock down closers in the champions in the NFBC 50 uh, thing. And also if we take it away, I don't like holds as a, as a stat. In DL1, we changed it from just saves to saves and half holds. That makes more sense to me. I like Because that. I don't, I, I don't, I don't want to have, a guy who holds a lead in the sixth inning count as much as a guy who does the saves. Cause then it, 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 it becomes, I really like this add garbage to garbage to just get more garbage. Right? Like that's the, that's kind of how it feels to me, but I don't think the save stat is garbage. I think it's a major part of the game. And I think it's a major part of how you spend your fab. It is a major part, but, but, right. but my point in terms of, can, I'm going to flesh this strategy out a little bit. If you just focused on bullpens, Right. If you just said at the start of a season when you're preparing for a draft, let me take a couple of bullpens with guys that I think are good where the closer situation is unsettled. So let's say you you focused on San Diego. I brought up as right, an example. Perfect. That's what and I if want. You, you and if right. you drafted, let's say there were three guys in the running. Um, right. So you were. have to use up Diego roster Castillo. Spots. You have Diego Castillo. Not you have Diego, Mark Melanson. Um, Right. Um, and, um, what's his name? Pagan. Pagan. Yeah, Pagan, oh, I'm sorry. Pomeranz, right. and Melanson, I think, were right. the three. That right. Those are the three that, and which is why I was like, I'm not interested in any of this nonsense. But but let's take this further. So it's, yes, those are the three. Because that's a good team, right? And and typically, guys in bullpens who, who saves are, are produced from a team. The ideal situation for a closer is one where there's a good pitching staff in front of them and the hitting is not awesome. Right, but San Diego's a good team, so you knew there were going to be save opportunities. So if you pick, I liked Pomeranz. You I did, li- yes, yeah, I and I liked Pagan. So in one league, I took all three of them, and one hit, and that was a huge hit. Melanson's been about as good as Hendricks, right? In, in certain ways, maybe not as good. And his and his ADP was two eighty three. Right, and if you and let's say you took also Bass. And Yimi Garcia with the Marlins. Now, if mm-hmm. you took those five relievers, those were five relievers that were 
legitimately in the running for saves chances, right? You would have two quality closers for nothing. Now, I, I, I know it's, it's Monday morning quarterbacking, but I find it odd that we place so much value and investment in guys who pitch 60 to 70 innings per year. I just think, like you, like DBR said, you can look at the skills, but these are guys who pitch, they're short sample sizes. So a couple, a couple of outings and it changes it. Listen, Alex, I think it works for the draft champions. I actually, and we discussed that. I'm sort of sorry you're telling everybody this because next year we're going to, anyway, <laughs> but, um, but, but I do think that in draft champions, it makes a certain amount of sense. Cause then if you, you, it's 250 for Pomerantz, it was 289 for Melanson. And who's the third? I can't think of his name. Mark, um, you know, Matt Barnes is another one. If you drafted, if you drafted Barnes and Ottavino who were in the running, but see, that's a little bit more dangerous because it's 225, right? Right, it's, right, I guess. It's a, it, that's a, I mean, like, I like it better. I like the idea better if you're in the mid to late 250s and you just ignore closers. But then it then it comes down to who's going to be available during those times, right? In in auctions, how do you think that would play? But see, I can't work in auctions, man. Like, you can't, you can't draft. <laughs> if you're only taking 30 guys on your team. Well, you have to build in more roster spots for your relievers, but it's worth it. Because yeah. it's a Liam Hendricks. I, I have Liam Hendricks in a few leagues, so it seems odd that I'm making this argument. I also had Edwin Diaz a couple of years ago, who was the top closer, and that was a bust, right? And and I said to myself, why am I investing in guys who pitch sixty to seventy innings? I know they they could produce a lot in terms of just pure dollar values, but we're basing this off of sixty to seventy innings per year versus a starter. There's a much larger sample size, so. If you you would have to set aside a number of roster spots for that guy, but you could do it in the reserves. You can get Melanson in the reserves. You can get an Alex Reyes in the reserves, right? If you had Gallegos, yeah, I avoided St. Louis. I I mean I threw. I, I think I grabbed Reyes. Hold on, let me see where Reyes was before the season because I got him in a bunch of NFBC. He was leagues. late. He was late. Alex Reyes. So I got him. He was at three sixty two, and I got him in. Do we have him in our, on our team? I don't. Do we, we do have not. him? We do not. We do not. Um, but I was thinking of him more not as a closer, but as a as a starter. Right. Like I thought that eventually he was going to be a starter, and that's why I grabbed him. I avoided all of those situations. I didn't, I didn't get near them. So is it, Devere? You think this works? Do you think? Do you like this idea? I, you know, I'm kind of wrestling with all of our thoughts a little bit because I've had this this sort of statement before. Where I've said. Five by five, Roto is an imperfect game, but I'm okay with its flaws. Sort of like how Tecmo Super Bowl to me will always be the most fun football video game to play, even though for 30 years, every video game has been better than that from a a graphic standpoint or a gameplay standpoint or the types of things they're doing. It's your first love. Kind of, yeah, it's a little bit of that. And there actually, if you and if you play Tecmo Super Bowl at a really high level, you realize there's a lot more strategy in it than you would typically give a game from the early 90s credit for. My thinking here with, with the closer problem, I'm looking at ADP from back in March, and you see you know Josh Hader inside the top 60 in the NFBC, and you see like, Aroldis Chapman inside the top 70. And mm-hmm. this happens every year because there's no trading in those leagues. Kind of arguing against myself, throwing this to both of you guys, do you think that artificially inflating the value of, of something that we I think we all agree. I mean, a reliever is half or a third as valuable as a starter, but our game doesn't treat it that way. Does this actually open up a, a more diverse path to, to building a competitive team? Does it create more 
variation in strategy that is utilized. If 100%. We, like yes. if we didn't do this, if we didn't count saves, if we didn't care about these relievers, they would be almost either completely irrelevant or they'd be so devalued that it'd be a bit of a crapshoot. Everyone just throw darts after pick 200 and, and get their saves that I way. I played right? like, in a league like that in the Tout Wars head-to-head, and I hated it because closers didn't matter. At all, you needed to have two closers, but you weren't going to get a lot of points for them. And you're making, you're getting most of your points for the innings, right? Innings are or innings are everything in, in a points league like that in in that format. So it, it really took a part of the game out. It's like people who argue that the two catcher rule is stupid. Like I play in a bunch of leagues where it's just a one catcher league. I don't like that at all. I like two catcher leagues, a hundred percent. I think it makes it harder. I think it makes it more challenging. It adds more variation to right. the game. I agree. I agree with that. I, and I'm not advocating for banning relievers necessarily. I, I just think. I mean, there are two separate points. There's one about is there a new way to value relievers properly, and is there a new way to approach relievers in traditional formats? And um, on the subject of of just valuing relievers differently. I do think the magic balancing act is uh, half, as you said before, half save, half hold, half point for a hold, and a full point for a save within the same category. Um, I, I guess it's less exciting, but then we're playing this silly game otherwise, where we're just speculating on who the manager likes best. No, and it's not it's, always skills it's not. based. It's not skills based always. I'm with Alex on this. It is. It Good. is not. It is not. It is not. A, we're not right now. The way we're valuing saves as the default reliever category, we are not tasked with finding the best reliever. We are tasked with finding the best ah. reliever most likely to end up in this particular role, okay. which is just okay. Well so wait, I think. I, wait, I think I understand where we're where we're off here. I love it because it's about the psychological part of the game because then I get to use my psychology skills to get in the mind of the manager. That's what I want to do. I want to look at that. I want to look at the inside of what the, the, the manager might be thinking after, you know, if you look at what's happening in San Francisco right now between Rogers and, oh God, my names are just going crazy. Jake, Jake McGee, Jake McGee, right? Like, why is Rogers gave up two hits the other night? Now Rogers is in the eighth inning, and McGee is back in the ninth inning. What does that mean? Like, you know, is he is Kapler having big thoughts? Like, what is Kevin Cash thinking? I, you know, our old friend Marcus Potter, uh, Alex, when he was really like focusing on fantasy baseball, he had a rule. Okay, he had a real rule, which was never draft somebody who is still injured. Right? I don't know if I agree with that rule, but it was a rule that he had. I have a rule. Don't spend capital on a closer if you're not sure he's got the job. So James Karinchak did not appear on any of my teams this year at all. Right. Because, and, right. Because and Tito, I, yeah, go ahead. Francona never came out and said, it's going to be Karinchak. There's one team that I had him on a dynasty league. So I went and got class A in the draft. And we, we know that in Devil's Rejects. But that's a rule that I have. If I don't know who the closer is, I'm not going to spend the money on the idea that he's probably going to be the guy. It's the clubhouse rule in closers. Who is it? If the closer loses his job, what's going to be? Is it going to be back page news? God, that's like 20th century conversation. Is it going to be back page news in that city's paper? 
And those are the guys I want. I want the guys that if you take out Jansen, if you take out Chapman, it's going to it's gonna cause a problem. So they're going to really have to blow it. So I, 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 I disagree with you guys. The, the analytics guys are on one side and the psychological, intangible guys on the other side. I don't, I don't think we're going to agree. And I, it's good. It's fine. I, I th- I th- I, just to close this point, I do think if you embrace the uncertainty of saves rather than feeling as if you needed the security of one guy, I th- and I think you find this if you look at the draft champions, the overall leaders, a lot of them, just reviewing some of them, and I encourage anybody out there to, to check it out, looking at the top 10 to 20 teams, a lot of them don't have top closers. They ended up right. getting lucky with saves and making profit off of uh, Alex Reyes, the guys we've mentioned already, Kimbrell, um, guys who were not as, as top. And since it's such an uncertain position, I would argue embrace the uncertainty and just take a collection of guys from the same, from a couple of bullpens and hope it, like if you embrace the uncertainty with Cleveland, there were a few good relievers there. It just wasn't clear who would get the job, right? Karen Chak, we knew he was talented, right? We knew he was talented. And Class A was four twenty one, so it's not like you had to spend a lot for him. And then, but then, but then there was Whitgren, Nick Whitgren, right? Right. So if you took all three of them, and Whitgren, I, I, I you know, I threw, you know, a couple dollars at it in deep leagues. At three ninety seven. Ex- exactly. So if, if you took all three of them, you would wind yeah, up you with that. a top ten closer. I guess he's top ten, right? I'm, I'm, I'm kind of. Well, I mean, Karen Check didn't get Karen Check didn't get the save last night. Class A got the save last night. So, so the nightmare continues. Never mind this whole theory. No, no, I, I think this was this was great. Unfortunately, uh, I'm the one with the heart out today. I've got a business thing that I have to get to. Um, and so uh, DVR, but before we wrap, DVR, do you have any final thoughts that you want to share about the closer situation? I, I'll i save them for a future episode just because I think there's a lot more here. I'm just curious what people think. So email us, fantasypods at theathletic.com. Tweet at us, of course. We're always interested in, in getting thoughts. It just it feels like we need to tweak something. I don't want a full overhaul. I just want to do it a little bit better I think we can keep the fun aspects of speculating while also doing a better job of rewarding better relievers in each bullpen that we don't currently reward or value as much as we should. All right. So that'll be something we'll get into. Um, And now I'm going to do my attempt at the Nando DeFino close. So here we go for the man who, uh, who, who knows that adding a hold stat would just add garbage to garbage to just get more garbage. Derek Van Riper. If you had one bag of garbage and you added two more bags of garbage, you'd have three bags of garbage. And that's worse than having one bag of garbage. It's a lot of garbage. And welcome. And thank you again for joining us uh, for my friend to the man who uh, went directly from breastfeeding to number crunching. <laughs> Alex Cushing. Gentlemen, thank you for having me. It's been an uh, I mean, con. And it was a real pleasure to have you, my friend. And uh, we will see you again here next week. Bye. Good time. Good time. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 
Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.